House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Welcome back into the House of Mystery. I'm Al Warren. Mr. David Baseball Smartino. <laughs> I'm still baseball, huh? Yeah, yeah. It's, I'm, I'm working on the ratings. It's just, next week you'll be someone different. But okay. Baseball okay. is very, very good. Okay. And it's spring training. Spring training, that's right. You know, yeah. So we, we can trend. We can put yeah. hashtag baseball. Hashtag baseball, hashtag spring training. Yeah. Hashtag spring break. Hashtag Illuminati. Yeah, that too. Yeah, just, that, that'll get us a lot of listens. Yeah, uh, they'll be, but they'll be mad later when they find out. Yeah. Well, maybe our guest is part of the Illuminati. You never know. Could be. Right? I've heard stories. <laughs> so now, um, now our guest has a new book out called Every Missing Girl. It's a Kendall Beck thriller, and it's book two. So our guest is Leanne Kale Sparks. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. And if I were part of the Illuminati, I could not tell you. So. Right. <laughs> Well, I mean, well, let's see. So did you watch the Super Bowl? No, I did not. Sorry, no. I don't like the NFL. Well, yeah, but I thought, because I hear that, you know, the halftime show, uh, Rihanna gave the uh, Illuminati signal. That's the rumor, right? Oh. So I'm, I'm thinking. Ah. See, I'm always out of the loop. <laughs> what, what are you doing? See, you, you, you got to get into this. Right? Let me get the email. Yeah. Well, obviously, you're on the low-ranking Illuminati. Well, of course. That's you're just like, a known. That's just a known. You're not Rihanna or Beyonce, who's up high. Come on, let's you gotta do something to get up there. So you can't carry a tune. That's probably why. Just fake it. Come on. There's, there's right. auto-tune these days. Auto-tune, yeah. I don't need to, yeah, well, star. nobody wants to see me in any of those outfits. I can tell you that. So, <laughs> well, I hear Millie Vanilli are looking for work. Right? There you go. So, so you get them out there dancing <laughs> with the shoes, and then you put someone else's voice. And, and I think there's only name. one left. There's only one. Oh, see, there's a slot. There's a slot open. I don't know which one it is, though. I can't well, remember. that's all you need. You see, you could you could be Millie or Vanilli. Okay, Millie, I could, yeah. they could pick it. That's what you can imagine. Well, so here we go. You've decided to write another book. So you've got this. This Kendall Beck is your uh, is your main character. Obviously, I, I always try to figure this out. Is it is it the story itself, or is it actually a crime that you just throw him into? You know what I mean? Like, what's the center of this of it? Yeah, on this one. So the first book was mainly about um, her best friend missing. So it wasn't really about the FBI side of things so much. There was a little bit of her investigating, but the main theme was her, her best friend being kidnapped. So in this book, I kind of wanted to highlight more of what Kendall does in the, uh, in the FBI and the Crimes Against Children unit. Um, and I also wanted to bring her unofficial sidekick, Adam Taylor, who's a Denver police detective, uh, a little bit more to the forefront. So it's his niece who is kidnapped or is missing. We don't know if she's kidnapped or run away, so she's just missing. So Kendall, it kind of highlights what Kendall does. Uh, she's put into a little bit of a precarious situation because she knows Adam. She's become close to his family, and so she knows the niece, Frankie. So it's, it's kind of a hard line where she's trying to remain professional and do her job the best she can. But also, you know, she knows this person, so she, that's pulling at her heartstrings a bit. 
And she's also trying to keep Adam in check, too, so he's not going off the deep end. He he has his own stuff he has to do because, obviously, he's not officially he's not allowed to investigate this crime. So I thought it was a really good way in book two to kind of highlight Kendall and also let everybody get to know Adam and his family a little bit more. It worked out well. So you expanded more on Adam's character in this book, for sure. No, it's really actually more Kendall. Um, well, it's about 50-50. So Adam is more, it's just, you get to know his personality more, whereas maybe you didn't so much in the first book. And I think that's true for both characters. I think, you, you know, as you go on in the series, you get to know the characters better. But um, it, it is still mainly Kendall and how she's reacting to all of this, her investigation. There's another dual investigation going on because the beginning of the book opens where um, there's a double homicide at a convenience store that Adam is investigating, and there's a, a girl that is there that is the, one of the, the guys that died has brought this little girl there, and she happens to be a girl who's been missing for a few months. So Kendall and Adam are working together on that case, and then... Uh, Frankie goes missing, and so she's kind of trying to keep track of both of these, trying to keep Adam in check a little bit. Um, he wants to, of course, be involved in the investigation with his niece, but he can't really be officially involved, so he's doing it a little bit. But he still has to do his job as a detective. So I, I definitely like to show where, you know, a lot of times in books you get these um, characters who – it's one main investigation, and that's all they do. And so I kind of like to show that there's other stuff that has to go on. You still have other things going on. But I also like to weave them together and and uh, and, and kind of see where they intersect. Yeah. Well, and it's realistic that way because, you know, it's not too often that a, I guess a cop would just be on one case or FBI or anything like that. How, how much do you do uh, to research to make it realistic? Like, do you go hang out at the uh, cop shop and, and try to find out information? <laughs> or do you, you, you get arrested by on purpose or something and go undercover? I tried that, but it's weird because, you know, they, they don't give you any, any more information when you're arrested than if you just go and ask. So that was kind of a bust, <laughs> and now I have a felony conviction. So, you know, it says it really work. <laughs> Not really. Um, but I was lucky enough early in writing to um, have a contact in the FBI who put me in contact with people that worked in this specific unit, the Crimes Against Children Unit. So I did learn a lot from them about how they approach things. Um, I got to learn about how difficult it is for them, um, which was most, which was probably the best information I could have got. Yeah, I, I, I like having the, you know, uh, background of how the FBI does certain things, um, you know, what their procedures are, all of the stories that go along with, with how they find these people, these traffickers and things like that. But it's really how it affects the characters or, or affects them personally that I want to be, be able to bring into my characters because I think that's half of it. I mean, it's a, it's a really hard position to be in day after day after day just seeing these young girls and boys and just being trafficked and the things that they have to do. And it's just really the, the worst of society has happened and, and these things are happening to children. So I think it's like a double wham 
You know, it's bad enough to have to see things that law enforcement have to see on a daily basis, but when you see it every day and it's children, I think it takes an especially hard toll on someone. So I, I like to be able to do that. So, yeah, I, I, I had early research into this, and now it's just um, I do have some contacts at um, in the police departments in Colorado, so that helps a lot. Um, I'm from Colorado, so that helps a lot. <laughs> but, yeah, so – so the research is, you know, that's the fun part for me. I also have a lot of author friends that, you know, write the same stuff. So we bounce things around in, in our little groups. And then, um, of course, Writers Police Academy is always a, a fabulous time to go and learn about law enforcement and things like that. I'm wondering how much uh, literary license you take when it comes to uh, taking all this research in and keeping things close to what the FBI and other forms of law enforcement do in, in situations like these, or are, are, you, are, are you able to keep it kind of close to the, the, the way uh, the procedures are done uh, to, you know, to, to keep up the uh, suspense within, within a novel? Yeah, I, I, it's it's a difficult thing because you you want to be as true to what happens as possible. But you know, as I said, sometimes in law enforcement, especially in um, in law <laughs> and practicing law, going to court and things, there's stuff about that happens that's just boring. And so it, it's a fine line to walk to be to want to be as as close to reality as possible. But you don't want to be boring. And then there's also the times where you know that, yeah, this isn't right, but I've got to fudge it for the story's sake. Um, and, and you will inevitably get called out on it. But, you know, sometimes you can't. a book is still an escape from reality. You know, if, if I'm writing it real life, then it's not – I'm not writing a memoir. So I don't know exactly, you know, how this stuff works and stuff. So I'm writing fiction and people that read it are trying to escape from reality um, for whatever reason. And so they don't want to read boring stuff, you know, so you have to kind of weigh out what's, what you can make as close to reality as possible and the, where you need to just kind of fudge it a little bit. And um, sometimes you even have to, if, you, if I write something and I send it off to one of my law enforcement buddies and they go, I say, is this correct? And they go, well, you kind of just make it up as you go, you know, and, and they kind of give me little indications of, I can't tell you that. And so, <laughs> you know, go, go with your gut kind of thing. And so um, there's that too. So, so you know that, you know, that, that kind of can touch on some, some areas. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a fine line that we all kind of tread on what we want to go. And I don't like to go into, I know that I, I write books about horrible things happening to children, but there's a line to be crossed that I will never cross, and that will, that's any type of description of anything happening to a child. Not ever going to happen. It's just that that's a bridge too far for me, and um, I just I, I couldn't do that. So that's some of the stuff, part of reality of that situation that I I never will will write about. Right. Well, you don't need to go that far in a sense. Um, especially if you're, I, I, it sounds to me like you're focusing on the characters, the people that are involved in, in solving and, and helping out in these crimes, and you're kind of showing them as real people, and I think that's the magic touch because a lot of police books in this category will miss out on showing them as just people and making mistakes and being human. They show them as all Superman, you know, they're all, 
Yeah. So, you know, they're all Bruce Willis, and uh, it's tough and can do it. It's exactly, exactly. And I think that, that what I like about my characters is, yeah, Kendall is, is a total badass, and that's really fun to write. But she's also a hothead, which gets her in trouble in her job as an FBI agent sometimes. And she has her own flaws, and all of the characters have their own flaws. And so I think that that's also based in reality because you always, whenever you have people working together and things like that, everybody comes with their own personalities and their own flaws, and everybody just kind of has to figure out how to work within everybody else's, you know, idiosyncrasies and, you know, work, be able to work together. Um, I do have a lot of sarcasm and what may be considered off-color jokes, like inappropriate outside of law enforcement, but I believe that that's truly how they act, <laughs> you know, that especially in the situation where there's lots of horrible things that they see. And so sometimes the way they release um, stress and, and what they've been under is, uh, you know, just to be a bit sarcastic, be a bit things that they wouldn't say maybe out in the general public when they're trying to be professional. So I like to make sure that that's all added into, because I think that also shows the characters and um, what they're going through. Yeah, that's why I'm the way I am. Gallows <laughs> <laughs> humor. You're, you're, you're off color. You, you, you don't do that stuff out in public? I didn't know. <laughs> no, she knows you too well. well. I, I'm, 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 no way. I'm so polite, old-fashioned, <laughs> and none of that bad stuff comes out of this boy. I'll tell you. Yeah. It's all good, good values here. For me, um, I'm thinking that you like writing. Uh, the special agent Kendall, and I have to wonder what it is that you get out of writing that character. Like, how does it? How does this work for you? Is this? A, do you? Do you sort of um, have? I guess it sounds like you have fun putting yourself in that place and doing a lot of the things that she does because you don't do that in your life. So it's kind of a way of experimenting in a sort of you know in in job, jobs and areas that you wouldn't do normally. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that. Uh all writers kind of live vicariously through their um, their characters on some level. And, you know, Kendall is just a fun person to, to write because of her own personality. And, uh, you know, she's she's had, you know, her, her fiancé died um, years before, and so she's pretty much set that she's not going to get married and have relationships. She's, uh, you know, like uh, romantic relationships. Uh, she works with children. Um, so she doesn't want to have any children. So that's totally, completely opposite of me. I'm married and I have, you know, four kids and, and a husband. And, and so that, it, that's kind of fun to kind of live life vicariously through her. Um, so yeah, she's a lot of fun. Plus, you know, it's just, it's great fun to, to see what situations you can put her in and figure out what she's going to do. So that, that's always, that's always a fun, uh, fun challenge to see how she's going to react and, you know, it's, it, it's a great thing when you're writing and then all of a sudden something clicks and you're like, Oh, that's interesting. Let's see if we can go, let's see if we can investigate that Avenue a little bit and see if we can get her into a little bit of a precarious situation this way and how she gets herself out. So what's, what's your experience with your character with all of them? But, um, Kendall, of course, being your, one of your main characters here, uh, do, how do you, how do you experience her? I, I kind of visualize her a lot, um, and, and really just, she just kind of, 
I don't know that she actually talks to me. There's just like like a feeling that I get when I write her of how how would she feel about this, and so I know that I've hit on it when it starts all you know just coming out faster than I can write it. So I think that that's kind of the 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 relationship I have with her is that there's this kind of when I when I know it's clicking and when I know it's going in the right direction, then that's kind of our our way of communicating. This is her personality. This is how she would handle things and and things like that. So I think and I hope that that's what comes out is that you know this is a real authentic type person a character that and I just love writing. I think I saw a movie like that once where the you know the woman kept waking up in strange rooms, <laughs> not knowing how she got there and. And that would be creepy. <laughs> <laughs> that hasn't happened to me yet, so <laughs> Kendall hasn't hasn't put me anywhere weird, so that's good. Well, this this Kendall, um, you, you know, when you kind of have this feeling about her, and when you're writing and you're, you're creating the story, does she ever surprise you? Does she kind of, I guess, go off the rails and, and take the plot with her, or um, do do you feel? more in control of, of that situation? Um, I think if I'm going off the rails, it's mostly me going off the rails <laughs> and maybe the, her. It, that's when the whole not really clicking and me trying to force it somewhere. I, that's where I think where her character comes back and is like, yeah, no, we're not doing that. Um, I do love getting her into a lot of scraps. Um, I think that the there's a huge twist at the end that I it did did hit me as I was writing it. And I was like, whoa, that's not the way I thought this was going to end. And um, I, I'm a plotter, so I know kind of where I'm going, and that helps me, even even though I kind of let the characters take me where they want to go. But if I get into a point where I've, I've written myself into a corner or I'm, I'm stuck and I don't know where to go from here, I can always go back to my outline and kind of figure things out and back myself out and maybe go a different direction. Um, so that's a lot of that, that's a lot of fun to do. Um, but like I said, the, the when, as I wrote the the ending of this book, I was just like, oh, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know if I can do this, and I don't know if this is allowed. Am I allowed to do this? And my editor was like, oh, I don't know, and she's like, but okay, we're going to see how this goes because it's a big, big twist at the end. So and and it took me completely by surprise. And so I kind of in my own way I, I feel like, you know, Kendall's over on the sidelines, you know, cheering and yay, she did it. <laughs> so it was it, it was it was a lot of fun. Like I said, when once the once you hit something and and you know it's gonna be good, you're like, ooh, that's great. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Do, do you drink lots? I do. I do drink a lot. Um, I, I'm very much into day drinking. That's why, you know, I think God made mimosas oh. and, um, and and things like that. So, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm totally on board with that. I, that's, I kind of thought there's something a little bit, you know, <laughs> a little bit slurry. I'd like to say, I, I like to say that's what it was, but it's really, I, I was weird as a child, so. Yeah, it was that. Thank you, Morty. Well, so what what goes on when 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 you're a writer that you're writing kind of um, this is kind of dark material. I mean, there's a sarcastic point to it, but it, it it is kind of you know it's not the good things that happen in life necessarily. Yeah. Right? Like a lot of the uh, cases are 
or you know they're they're kind of the unfortunate things that humans do. Did you know as a kid were you like writing this kind of story when you were young, or were you did it just come out of the, out of nowhere? Like where where does this all kind of how did this happen? Yeah, no, I I wasn't in some closet you know serial killer that's just waiting to emerge. I did. <laughs> I mean, I I don't know that I actually wrote stories when I was young. It was mostly like stick figure drawings. I'd make up you know these. Uh, stories and that's how I'd write some of it and then most of it was like you know drawings I can't draw so they're all basically stick figures and and stuff I don't think that the I hate to say that it's a love of writing this but you know it is a it's definitely a deep interest of mine I guess that mostly came after I graduated from law school and started working in law and I worked in criminal defense and so you know I got to know a lot of people in law enforcement I got to know a lot of people that were criminals um, and, and just, you know, that whole experience. So when I was started writing, um, it just kind of seemed natural to me to want to write about, about that kind of, of stuff that I saw um, happening. But I think that it, it just keeps growing on itself. The more, you know, you write a book and, and it's like I said, this ending is a big, oh, my God, moment. So the next thing I write, I'm going to be thinking, well, I got to do something a little bit better than that. I got to do something bigger than that. And so, you know, delving into to the criminal mind um, is a scary thing to do. But in being in fiction, you can kind of make stuff up. Like, you know, you can you can put people into characters into situations and hope that that's not what really is happening in real life. But usually it is. But um, yeah, so I don't I don't think it it really came about. <laughs> writing this dark and, and serious stuff until I was much older and in a profession that, that dealt with it. So, so it's kind of, it kind of relates to some of your work and maybe uh, in a way, it, 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 I guess because it's fiction, you can, you can make things happen. You can, uh, you know, more resolution, I guess, or resolving. Because did you feel um, – good about the justice system and i don't mean that uh, i'm not trying to be uh, negative but it just means you feel like it's a pretty good system and, and sort of I, I think it's the best system that you can have because you can't get justice for everyone it's impossible there's just no way to get justice for everyone so justice is for the majority and so you try and work within those and i got a lot of uh flack for being in criminal defense and what I try to get people to understand is the state is the one that has to prove because it's a, it's a heavy thing when you're going to take somebody's liberty from them and their rights from them and put them into a prison. That's, that's big. That's, you know, and so they should be the ones that are responsible for proving that this uh, person did what they say they did. Uh, but they also have all the resources on their side. So criminal defense is not necessarily a defense attorney going, my client is, you know, did not do this. It, it's more of a, I, I'm representing this person so that he doesn't get railroaded by the justice system. So you have to have that because all the training and all the expertise and all the um, labs and investigation and, and things like that are on the, the state side or the government side of, of the prosecuting side of, of the case. And typically people, you know, you go into court, you don't know what's going on. It's it's a, you know, you have to know, and so you have to have somebody there to be an advocate for you to make sure that things are running the right, the way they are, and to get your defense out. So 
There's my soapbox. You're right, Perry. Nice. <laughs> For criminal right. defense attorneys. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. That's that was probably my first. Um, I, I used to go to North Carolina and stay with my grandmother over summers, and uh, she would watch Perry Mason every day at noon, and I would watch it with her. And that's, I think, that was my my first love of, of law was right there. So it was kind of it was a no brainer that I'd go into criminal defense. Well, how was it going from you know the type of writing that you do in uh, criminal law, criminal defense, to creative writing? It, was that like a big transition? Oh yeah, legal writing is is um, I mean, <laughs> I people would say that that criminal defense attorneys uh, make a lot of stuff up and and uh, um, so it's not that hard to <laughs> to do and and they write the fantastical de- defenses and things. But yeah, it's a different kind of of writing. Um, you you know, there's a lot of rules and procedures and stuff that you have to follow in, in legal writing. So it was very free to begin to write fiction because it's wide open um so it it, and and you get to manipulate both sides of the story so that's that's nice because i don't always think that that the defense side is is the right side i mean i am typically pro-defense um i am very big advocate for the innocence project i think that that is a great organization and they do excellent work but i also can see on law enforcement side, you know, there, you have to have laws and you have to make people accountable for their actions. And I, I, I like being able to write from both sides. Yeah, we have to keep Dave in line. Yes, <laughs> that is true. <laughs> Troublemaker. Yeah, that's right. He's always in the trouble. Uh, so, where do you where's your where's your influences when you come to, let's say, detectives and and. Is there any real life, actually, real life, um, um, let's say, defense attorneys or prosecutors or people out there that you sort of admire? No. No. <laughs> well, I mean, I didn't know this. I mean, <laughs> well, there's not anybody like, like. Uh, I mean, I think that they all do really good work. I think that it's it's a hard job on both sides, um, being in law enforcement. And, you know, it's it can sometimes be a thankless job. And... Um, you know, there's a tendency these days to think that law enforcement um, just wants to find somebody and make them guilty and not really investigate. And I think you have to be really careful about thinking that all law enforcement is like that. But does it happen? Yes. Um, so there's a balance between the two. But I really do. I, I, I admire both sides a lot. And that's why I like to write about it. I haven't really done so much in the legal defense side of it yet, but I imagine that'll that'll come down the road somewhere. Um, so right now I'm just in I'm I'm intrigued with the law enforcement side, um, the investigating side of it right now. So we'll see what happens in the future. Yeah, I think all you can really do is, uh, is show the human side of whoever's in law in law enforcement, whether they're prosecution or defense. Because people yeah. got to realize that they're just humans, so there's going to be good ones, bad ones, people that make mistakes, people that don't. There's all all that mixes in all of that, um, and people have to realize that. And uh, rather than just lumping them all in, right? Um, yeah. Do, do, what do you think is portrayed really well? Do you think like the the legal system, like law enforcement? Do you think uh, you know? Because when I watch shows from the '60s, they made everybody. You know, it was black and white. It was good and bad, and 
you know, uh, Perry Mason was great yeah. all over. You know, like you know what I mean. Like they had, they yeah. had these roles, and they and they they kept to them. Nowadays, do, do you think that um, you do you like watching? I don't know any of the series like CSI or detective things or or um, Blue Bloods or any of that sort of stuff. Does does any of that ring true to you? And you kind of like the way they portray it, or do you think that it's all just it's very misleading? I haven't really watched many um, shows like. Well, I haven't. I haven't watched any like Blue Bloods. Uh, I haven't watched CSI in in years. I, I like documentaries and and things of that nature a lot. But um, yeah, I think you know, it's like we said. There's good and bad. So it naturally, um, when you have a television series that is slanted one way, then it, they're going to make them look better. But I think it's it's getting better now like you said back in you know Perry Mason and even into the 70s and 80s you know you didn't really see that negative side of law enforcement in law enforcement when it was a pro law enforcement type show I think that they're being more realistic now and showing that there are bad apples and how um, this can come about and uh, so I think it it does tend to get more realistic Um, I really like I have watched Bosch because that's amazing. So I, I think that if you ever want to see somebody that's got um, who's a hero, but also got some massive flaws, then you've got Bosch pretty well. I mean, I, I really do enjoy that series, even the new spinoff series. But yeah, I think that that they are getting more realistic. You know, there's always a fear that that in real life that that there's things that happen within investigations and um, stuff that you hope would not like uh, tunnel vision of, of investigators of making the um, evidence fit the, <laughs> fit the facts um, instead of, you know, following what the, where the evidence is leading them in an investigation. Um, do I think it's as prevalent as is brought out on some te- television shows? Probably not, but it's, it's like anything, anything that looks like it's going to be, something of public interest that is going to enrage people, especially in this day and age with social media. I think that they're going to hype that more. So uh, I think that it's like when I write Kendall and when I write Crimes Against Children, yeah, that's a, that's a horrible thing. But missing children typically is the ones that are, are trafficked or um, kidnapped and and things like that probably still only make up between one and 5% of all missing children. The other 95% are runaways or um, just there was, they missed missing for a while and they come back, you know, things like that, family dynamics and stuff. So it, I think that it's important not to think that this is such a huge, it is a huge problem, but it's not like every missing child has been trafficked and, or, or, you know, things like that. I think that the media and definitely television shows and stuff, they tend to want to hype things up and make them look bigger than they maybe are. So, but it helps in, in my writing to make it that way. That's our job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's our job to scare Nasty, you. nasty people. Yeah, terrible. Yeah, I know. <laughs> terrible, awful. Put us, put us down, all of us. Are you going to go into a different field ever? Do you think you'd write a different type of book, you know, like a comedy or do you think you're going, mm. ever going to try something, you had something different? The only thing that I've really actually been interested in is actually your side of the writing um, table, and that is um, maybe some true crime. Uh, there's there's a subject that I'm 
very, I don't know, that's really grabbed me and, and I, and has held on, I've held on to it. And that is false, um, confessions, especially in minors. And I would love to write a book about that. So, but I haven't really sat down and ever worked through it, but there are a couple of cases that I think, um, warrant a closer look at that than just, you know, where, Interrogation techniques, I think, can be very brutal and unfair, and um, I, I think there needs to be laws that and, and rules that are put into place to protect, especially minors that are being interrogated, but just anybody that's in interrogation. You shouldn't have to be interrogated for 12 to 18 hours because anybody at that point is going to confess because they just want to get out of there. Because you're in a you're in a tiny little room, um, you know, and you you're not allowed to leave. Well, well sometimes, you're, but you know, it, it just it's it's intimidating. And at some point, that your brain just says, "Well, maybe I did do this." And so if I just say I did this, then I can get out of here, and then I'll just then I'll fix it. And by then, you've confessed to something, and it's really hard to take that back. It's really difficult to, to walk that back. So I really think that there's some. Um, rules that should be in place to protect people from those types of interrogations. Yeah, yeah, I touched off on it in a few few books and I've had to deal with. Um, and it is surprising how many false confessions there are, people that just confess, whether it's, you know, their, their own uh, men- mental capacity or whether they were scared into it or tricked into it or um, sometimes they're just... Just it just happens. I was. It's surprising when you go through that, and and also some of the rules, you know, where minors can be interrogated without parents, and and uh, police can lie to them. That is a huge one that I hate. Um, is is that they can lie yeah. about what they have because that's just not fair. And in fact, I, I really like the way the UK has handled it because they they had so many false confessions because they. Their system was much like the U.S. system of interrogations, um, where there's basically no rules. But they implemented rules where you're not allowed to to lie. You have 24 hours, but you have to, I think it's uh, two hours at a time that you can, can interrogate. Um, and then you have to have breaks and, and, and things like that. So it's it's more... It's not such a pressure cooker of we're going to get you to confess to this because we know... Um, and, and they, their false confessions drop down to nearly zero. I mean, that's huge. And so why, why, I don't understand law enforcement who says, well, we need these because, you know, people lie and things like that. Well, there's other ways of getting a confession. And if you're going to get a, a false confession, then you're putting the wrong person away. And the person that actually did this is still out there. So um, it kind of defeats the purpose. So yeah, it's it's it's, it's a real interesting category, uh, and um, yeah. you know, like you said, the uh, Innocence Project and uh, people, you know, there's groups out there, but yeah, there's it's pretty um, it's a it's a big deal, and uh, it would be nice if it got it better, but we'll see. You know, who knows? Yeah, well, you'll do it. You're gonna fix it. I'll do it. Right. I'm gonna I'm gonna fix You're it. Gonna That's my fix next. It. That's my next career. Damn it. Fix it. I'm fixing it. <laughs> damn it. Move over. I'm fixing yes. it. Damn it. <laughs> no, it's, it's an, but that's an interesting field, you know, and uh, I know Steve Mashaw did a thing on that, and I've seen uh, 
a few things on. And I've talked to a lot of them when I did a, a version of the Making the Murderer case, you know, and mm-hmm. how that, oh, that's you know, but it's brutal. But, you know, the sad thing is so much of that was doctored in in the video, in, the, in, the, in that docu-series that... Mm-hmm. It's it's you know it's it's it, they misled a lot of people. Oh really? Oh, it's terrible. You, and when conviction comes out this summer, um, they they actually are going to show all of the. I mean, I have all the transcripts and I had all the. Uh, and you watch all the video that wasn't put on YouTube and all that stuff. Man, you're going to be shocked at what went on. And there was times too where they actually just clipped answers and put them in when they didn't have them <gasps> so they actually lied. Oh, wow there were lies going on so the conviction made movie made by sean wreck uh, um and and chris hansen you know uh, but it's mm-hmm. um it's going to shock a lot of people because uh, i mean i hope so I'm, I'm glad in a way uh because uh like i wrote about that and i covered partial part of that but they're they're mm-hmm. going to show the the whole thing to people because when you actually see it and and hear what, what really went on, you're going to be. I still believe totally in that um, minors. Uh, there should be someone assigned. Period. Uh, if the mm-hmm. parent doesn't want to go in the room, then they put someone else in there from the court. Just that's what they do in the yep. UK now, and even Canada, and even Canada now, where now they're starting to stick in a, a guide to sit there. So that there's someone else there in the room, and it makes a big difference as compared to you know when they're a minor, and especially when they're slow. Yeah. You, know, you you just need that period. So that that is without oh I can't wait without question. But um, there's a lot of things about the case that they made up on the in the docu docu series, and it's really depressing. Um, I'm more depressed about it because of knowing that they did because whenever you get someone that actually creates and fakes evidence and presents it mm-hmm. you can't trust anything they do then yep. you know it, it to me that yep. writes them off yep. whatever their reason whatever the purpose but once you do that how can you really trust anything that they they say then at that point so yeah you know i'm, I'm yeah, hard it, line it is on a credibility that. yeah i'm hard line on yeah. that i can't i can't go back and go well we forgive you and that it's like no you did this and you did it on purpose. You went out of the way to do something that you shouldn't have done. Yeah. Well, and and I think that it's important for them, like you said, to have somebody in the room with them because, and and I, I never understand why law enforcement doesn't want to because so many times now things can get, confessions can be pulled because they didn't have somebody in the room. Um, even though, you know, it's permitted and stuff, you know, you you start, any good defense attorney is going to, excuse me, argue that, um, they didn't have somebody and and they bullied him and things like that. So it really does protect law enforcement and the case as much as it it protects the the defendant. Um, and, and it also is a, a form of checks and balances too. So, you know, you keep your law enforcement in check and, and I don't think that necessarily they're bad people. I think that it's it you know it's an adrenaline thing and you're and you want to solve this and you think you know where it's going and so you just keep pushing and pushing and pushing and um eventually you get what you want but is it is it real is it true um you know that there's a lot to be considered there and so if you just do it right in the first place 
then then you know then then you know it's more of a <laughs> okay this is more of a certainty than than a big question mark well you're dealing with humans yeah. you know emotions feelings all that kind of interferes a lot you know that's why that's why Dave should be doing. He's <laughs> still not human. He's not human. And he has no feelings. <laughs> it's feelings, that's right? So what? Where to next? What's next? Are you got anything coming up next? Or are you going to take a break now for a while? Are you going to go out fishing or what? You know, there's stuff ruminating in my head. I'm not really sure. It's not. It's kind of all muddled and stuff. So I need to uh, to get my muse kind of um, in order and stop her running around crazy. Um, and see if what what I can come up with. But yeah, there's always stories uh, kicking around in there. Um, just got to get your. Yeah. I, I I love I love writing, so I can't imagine not writing. So yeah, there there's there's always stories coming down the. Just got to get your your know. liquor cabinet full stocked, and then. I do. Then That's what my husband's job is. <laughs> yeah. That's his job. Where cook? Where's my house? <laughs> no. It's <laughs> well, so now uh, social media. Like, do you do you want people to find you on social media, and do you have website? Uh, give out your information and how people find Leanne. I am all over social media. I'm on Facebook. I am on Instagram, and I'm on TikTok. I do have a website www.leannekalesparks.com, and on there you can find information about me. You can find my books and pick any outlet you want to to buy them from. There's links there, um, and you get to see a bunch of cute dog pics. So I put I have all my dogs, past and present, and grand dogs up there. So you know, if nothing else, you can go and, and look at the dogs. <laughs> there you go. You, you know, <laughs> you get it all. You go to it's a one stop yeah. shop. This is just it. Yeah, you know, <laughs> but we have to warn people, of course, because this is like nail biting drama, as it's called. So you have to put a health warning. You're going to bite your nails off if you read this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, I, I have at the very least, you're going to probably need some tissues, um, and and just be be ready for a, a big, big surprise at the end. Um, I, I think there's a lot of twists and turns throughout it, which is why I like to have a couple of things going on because I think that creates a lot more tension and then it's a lot more fun to weave those things together. And um, I think the, the readers have a lot of fun trying to figure it out. And even if they figure it out or they don't, I think it's, it's, it's fun for them. So I hope, I hope it's, it's a fun ride for everybody. Oh, I'm sure it will be. People will love it, you know. Uh, now, the book we're talking about, Every Missing Girl. And it's a Kendall Beck thriller, book two. The author's been our guest, Leanne Kale Sparks. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Leanne. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Something with media. I'll be back.